heart is full, my, my, my heart is burdened with what God, I think, wants to say to us today. And so uh, today I'm going to talk a little bit about 40 days to Easter and entering into a season of prayer and consecration. And so I want to kind of remind you of what's coming. So f- 40 days of, of prayer and consecration, and we're entering into this starting this Wednesday night with Ash Wednesday service, right? So our Ash Wednesday worship time, we're gonna meet here, we're gonna gather, um, we're actually gonna meet at each campus, has its own Ash Wednesday service, and we're gonna come and we're gonna kind of begin this 40-day journey. And I really want you to come. I think it's really important that we do more of what we just did hanging out in the presence of God, letting God speak to us, letting him put his finger on our hearts, letting him lead us and guide us and direct us. Uh, On Wednesday night, I will have a a prayer journal for you, for every one of you. And it's uh, it's our prayer journal for this 40-day journey and and how important it is. There's uh, all kinds of scriptures each day. We're gonna pray together. Um, if If we think about what I really want you to do during these 40 days of prayer, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray and fast. Um... And I want you to join our church-wide prayer on Zoom, weekdays at 6.30 a.m. Most of you are up at 6.30 a.m. You just may have to get up earlier to pray. And so, and so I think it's really important. We're gonna do this on Zoom. I'm gonna be there. And some of our leaders and pastors pray with your small group weekly and use our 40-day prayer journal. Okay, so that's, what I, that's, that's kind of praying, <laughs> praying every day and with others. Say it with me. Praying every day and with others. That's what I want you to do during these 40 days. And then the next thing I want you to do is I want you to fast. I want you to choose a way to fast. Choose a way to fast for spiritual growth. Yes. I want you to commit to a fasting schedule. Do you have this, Tulu, or no? There you go. (laughs) Commit to a fasting schedule for this season. Um, I'm gonna talk about fasting today, but I want you to get up, give up some food, give up some media, give up something that says, God, I am consecrating my life to you during this season. Historically, this is a season where people look inward and say, God, how do you want to change me? And that's true, that's been true for centuries. And the reason it's so significant is because we're headed towards resurrection, right? But what happens before resurrection? Death. And so being willing to deny yourself and take up your cross during the season is really important. Utilize the fasting materials that we have uh, at onechapel.com slash prayer. You can check that all out. And here's where we're going. Uh, March 29th, Good Friday service, 7 p.m. at the Austin campus. That'll be all of our campuses together. We will have a Good Friday service here. Last year, we had just a phenomenal time at that service. It was really impacting and so meaningful. And then March 31st, of course, is Easter Sunday and all at all our One Chapel campuses. All right, do you got it? Do you got it? Now, I know you don't actually have it, but you got several days to get on board here. You got several days to jump in with us. And some of you might be thinking to yourself, what, what, why, is he, why are they doing this? Well, a few, couple years ago, I realized that I wanted our church to practice a rhythm 
rhythms of consecration, rhythms of prayer, rhythms of uh, giving our lives away, rhythms of mission and rhythms of relationship. And, and, I, and I think it occurred to me that for, for centuries upon centuries, the, the church of Jesus Christ has been having a, a, they had a calendar, a historical and liturgical calendar that led them through these rhythms of, of who Jesus is, what God is doing, what he has done, and what he's going to do. So we're just participating in that. But here's the thing that I think is the, the underlying reason that we are entering into this in 2024. I was reading a little bit this week, and some of you might know who Nathan Finocchio is. He's a, he's a pastor. He's a pretty, pretty amazing dude. He's, he's really uh, kind of out there sometimes, but I really appreciate his perspective. And here's what he said. He said, the most alarming trend I see in evangelicalism is the trend wherein the church seldom focuses on what the world cannot offer. The world can offer leadership, community, connection, experiences, empathy, self-help, relational advice, goal-reaching, manifestation. These things don't need to be missing from the church necessarily, but they are not what the church must build upon. If you build on this, you've built on sand and worse. You have not cultivated Christianity, the priesthood of the believer and the fragrance of Christ. A church offers prayer, the scriptures faithfully preached, doctrine that equips the saints and the sacrifices of the priesthood that please God and essentially cause the Holy Spirit to adorn our corporate gatherings, manifesting the presence of Christ in a multiplicity of ways. The world cannot offer these things. You guys, we've been working for several weeks talking about the rooted life and we've been dealing with Acts 2, 42 through 47. These are meaningful scriptures. This is the birth of the church. This is kind of the original template that, that the, the church of Jesus Christ started to take. And I wanna make sure that we understand that these practices are things that lets Jesus build his church. These are things we build our life upon. What is it? We are devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. That's what builds the church. That's what changes people's lives. It's so great. Sometimes people don't think that's fun. Sometimes they get too distracted by Super Bowls. Or they get too distracted by whatever's going on in our world. Listen, this, these are the underlying roots that we've got to maintain in order to be fruitful and meaningful in our lives. And I want us to dig in. And, and I started this year with this rooted life idea. We started so that we could get here and then begin to talk about, okay, how do we enter into this in a practiced, everybody say practiced, a practiced way because what happened just before these words were written in Acts 2.42? If you look at the whole chapter of Acts, what had just happened? The Holy Spirit had been revealed. It had been poured out. The gospel had gone to nation after nation after nation in languages they hadn't even learned under the power, everybody say power, under the power of the Spirit. I want to suggest to you today that these 
practices we're talking about are things that sustain the power of God in our lives. We can have all kinds of encounters. We had one this morning. I was over here, I was weeping like a baby. God's like touching my heart. This is powerful in it. We need to have these encounters. There's nothing without those encounters. But how do you sustain what God has said to you? How do you walk it out in the world that we live in? How do you make sure that you are attentive to the right things and not distracted? You gotta have practices. Why do you need to practice it? Because typically humans are not very good at God stuff. But he comes in and he changes us and he changes our have to to a want to. He changes our I gotta do this to a I get to do this. And that's what I'm after. Because what the scripture says in the next verse in Acts 2.42, verse 43, a deep sense of awe came over all of them. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. We need this. Don't we need this? Don't we need this kind of dynamic within our church? The worst thing the world can see is a bunch of grumpy, half-convicted Christians. Throughout history, these kinds of things have been called spiritual formation or maybe spiritual disciplines. And they are indispensable for growth and power. I wanna remind you what a spiritual discipline is. One of the best definitions I've ever heard is John Ortberg, and he says, from the life you've always wanted, he said, Spiritual discipline is any activity that can help me gain power to live life as Jesus taught and modeled it. The brilliant author and teacher, theologian Richard J. Foster, he outlines 12 disciplines. I just want you to, I just want you to realize there's, we could go as deep as we want to with this stuff. We're not gonna go too deep this morning, but check it out. He outlines 12 disciplines. Here's the inward disciplines, and you can just Put them up there to loop meditation, prayer, fasting, study. These are the inward disciplines. Then he outlines outward disciplines, simplicity, solitude, submission. Oh, wait, wait, wait. We should pause there. Submission? What? Wait, what? Americans, Americans don't have a lot of connection with some of these things. Submission and service. And then we've got corporate disciplines, which we do together. Confession, worship, guidance. Celebration. This is why we have Ash Wednesday service. This is why we're going to have a Good Friday service where we worship together, where we confess our sins, where we let God work in our hearts. This is quite a list, isn't it? But these practices have to get in us. And we're on a mission as a church to become a countercultural community. Everybody understand, more than ever, we have to become a countercultural community. And you're not gonna make it if you don't have some of these practices. You're not going to, you're not gonna make it, you're not gonna do, and and here's what I don't like. What I don't wanna do is keep focusing just on us because what I think is just on the inside, like what's happening to you personally, like I think that's important. God wants to touch you, he loves you, he knows you, he sees you, but here's what he wants. He wants not just to keep working on you, he wants you to work with him 
to help other people. He wants us to work together to, to have these practices so deeply within us that we start collaborating with him in a way that moves beyond what happens in this room, beyond what happens in your own soul. You're thinking about what's happening in another person's soul. That's where you and I have to go. That's where we all have to go. I'm getting too excited here. So here's the question. What are you most interested in? I know the Sunday school answer is Jesus. What are you most hungry for? What are you most hungry for in your life? I know for me sometimes I want to just veg out and I'm just hungry to feel like I'm not under pressure. What are you most hungry for? I'm very aware that we have like 50 streaming services on my television. I'm starting to get rid of them now. You know, they kind of get on and then you gotta get, actually what I'm doing now is I'm, I'm moving them to my kids to pay. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah we're, we're not gonna be able to watch this together anymore. If you want it, you're gonna pay for it. <laughs> There's so much we can do. There's so much coming at us. We've gotta find ways to be hungry for the right things. Because here's the truth. You've heard me say this before. I've said it a lot. We crave what we consume. Whatever you consume most, that's what you're going to start craving. You eat really well, you're going to crave good food. You eat really poorly, McDonald's starts tasting good. That's weird. <laughs> My wife loves McDonald's. <laughs> it's like a little cheeseburger, just this little snack. It's just so good. We don't eat there very often, but we crave what we consume. It's a way humans are wired. So whatever you put in is so important because it's going to start creating the habit. That's why I'm such a big believer in the daily Bible reading. You put the Bible in you all the time, even if you don't quite understand it. I mean, today's reading, kind of weird. God's working on stuff to create a community and numbers. It's some stuff you don't quite always understand, but listen, his words start to get in you in a way that starts to be the context and the routine of your life where, where roots start going down and something happens because, because here's the truth. What we consume is what we become. What we consume is what we become. An important spiritual truth that challenges us to consider what we feed ourselves physically, but also what we feed ourselves emotionally, intellectually, and spiritually. And we're about to embark on this 40 days of prayer and fasting. And I want you to, I want you to go with me. I want, you to, I want you to evaluate your life and decide what you want to do to fast. Because what, I mean, some of you are sitting here and you're like, what is fasting? And I'm, I'm confused by the word in many ways because every time I fast, it feels so slow. But fasting is to abstain from food to eat sparingly or abstain from some foods. Of the 16 or so references to fasting in the New Testament, roughly half speak of corporate fasts. People fasted together. 
And it was a regular practice of the early church. And so as with individual fast, corporate fasting encouraged the church to express sorrow for sin, to seek community forgiveness, to concentrate on the work of God and to seek his guidance. I'm telling you as your pastor, we need his guidance like never before. I need his guidance like never before. So why do we fast? Why do we fast? I'm gonna give you three ideas. We, we fast to cultivate hunger for God. We fast to cultivate a hunger for God. John 4, 27 through 34, this is a fantastic passage. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. He was talking to the woman at the well in this passage. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her jar, her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. You've been working really hard sitting at this well, talking to this woman. But he said to them, look at, check this out. I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? <laughs> disciples, man, they just, they, do, they were good men. They were good. They were just trying, they couldn't quite figure it out. Verse 34, Jesus says, my food, the thing that fills me, the thing that satisfies me, the thing I hunger for the most is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. I want to be like that. When we fast, we're saying God is our provider and that Jesus is our bread of life. We're saying that he's enough. We're saying that he's everything. We're saying that he's priority, that he's first. That we don't want to hunger for him above all else. Number two, reason that we fast is for spiritual and physical discipline. Spiritual and physical discipline. <laughs> Jesus said to his disciples as they were falling asleep in the garden of Gethsemane, he said these words. He said, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Your flesh is weak. My flesh is weak. And so we, we, have, this, we have this willingness, we want to do it, but... There's always something that your flesh is going to push back on and go, uh, that's, why, that's why what I've, I've decided in my life, and I think this is probably true for most people, you have to decide what you're going to fast before the day comes that you're going to fast. Because if you don't decide what you're going to fast before the day comes that you're going to fast, you're going to change the fast. You're just going to say, oh, you know, I've got some meetings today. I can't do this. I'm, I, I need to make sure I, I'll start tomorrow. I know, I know. I know this process well. We need spiritual and physical discipline like never before. We live in a society where we get everything we want whenever we want. We have to push back on that. 
You and I have to push back on that being the, the culture and the context that we live in because we get used to it and pretty soon that's even the reason we come to church. I come to church not to give something. I come to church to get something all the time. And this is just a gathering where uh, the pastor didn't do exactly what I wanted him to do and we sang that song that I don't really don't like and that person in the lobby was so rude. You realize you realize this is what, not what we're called to do. We're not called to just consume everything. We're called to give something out. That's what, that's what the people of God are. That's who the people of God are. And so, now at first, here's the, here's the problem. When you fast, you're, it's, it's interesting because I think when we fast, we quiet our flesh and we become sensitive to God's spirit. We quiet our flesh. Now, the problem is, the truth is, the first day you fast, your flesh is not quiet. It is screaming so loud. The second day is always worse for me. My flesh wants what it wants. And it gets angry and I get grumpy. Everybody around me is bad. You know what that is? You know what that grumpiness is? I didn't get what I wanted and I'm frustrated that I don't have the calories that I'm used to and now I feel kind of off. And I'm gonna make sure everybody else around me knows how bad I'm off. <laughs> you realize the problem there. But once you decide that you're going to make your flesh quiet down, it does. But you decide it. You decide it under, with the power of the Holy Spirit. You decide. Matthew 4, 1 through 4 says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He's quoting Deuteronomy 8.3 right there because Deuteronomy 8.3 was in him because he had memorized it. He'd spent so much time with the scriptures, they were in him. That's what you and I need. A bunch of you don't deal with temptation very well because you don't have a lot of scriptures in you. I think we have to I think we have to allow these scriptures to get into us like Jesus here and he was tempted. The tempter said, you can turn these stones to bread and then, and then he, what Jesus was committed to, now the question, is, the question is, could he have turned the stones to bread? I think so or else it's not a temptation. But that wasn't his primary need. His primary need was to do what his father had told him to do. And he wasn't gonna turn stones to bread without his father telling him he could. It's interesting that in Jesus' case, holding back on the power of God flowing out of him for, <laughs> was, the, was the limitation. But notice what the purpose was. What would be the purpose of turning stones to bread? For him to eat. For him to eat. Jesus was tempted to serve his own needs first. 
And we likewise are tempted to do the same. You have needs, it's true. The question is who you're going to look to to meet those needs. Your own power, your own will, other people and what they decide? No. God is the one who meets our needs. Fasting is a process where we're putting our flesh in a position of submission to God. And it's a fight. Everybody say fight. You gotta fight for your right to fast. It's a fight between your flesh and, and God's spirit that lives in you, and it's a test of humbling yourself so that you learn how to surrender to God. You're learning how to surrender in that mechanism of saying no to food. It's a practice that is the same mechanism that your will uses to do all this other stuff, that whatever you wanna do. So what we're doing is we're exchanging cheeseburgers <laughs> for prayer. We're exchanging pizza, which we love, for God's voice. We're exchanging all this food that we want to consume for being consumed with purpose from God himself. Listen, it's a great deal. Make the exchange. But we're so unwilling. We're so busy. We're so consumed with other things. Fasting exercises the same spiritual muscles that we use to say no to sin. That's why it's so good. First Peter 4, verse 1 through 2 says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves and also with the same attitude. Everybody say, same attitude. You got to have the same attitude because whoever suffers in his body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. Christ suffered. You've got to make your peace with suffering. You've got to make your peace with denying yourself, taking up your cross, and following him. I'm not saying it's easy, but I'm saying once you decide by faith to do it, the Holy Spirit comes in right behind it, and he helps you. I think I've always, been, I've always been a fan of saying that following Jesus is easy. Following Jesus isn't that hard. Saying no to this guy, that's what's so hard. Saying no to your flesh, that's what's so hard. That's what gets in the way. Following Jesus is good. It's so obvious how good his life is versus mine in, a, in so many ways. And yet the suffering that is required is saying no to me. Finally, number three, Ben, you guys can come on up to prepare for something new. We fast to cultivate hunger for God. We fast for spiritual and physical discipline. We fast to prepare for something new. Here's the scripture that Pastor Lori read at the beginning, and I just want to read it. In Luke 5, 33, said, they said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours go on eating and drinking. Jesus answered, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them in those days, they will fast. So Jesus says, when I'm gone, that's when people are gonna fast. That's when my disciples are gonna 
enter into being consumed with a longing for me. He told them this parable, no one tears a piece of a new garment to, a pa- and to patch an old one. Otherwise, they will have torn the garment and the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins. The wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for they say the old is better. Here's what I want you to get. New wine required a violent chemical reaction inside of some skins. A transformation that happened that was chemically induced with wine that then would stretch the the wineskin. So if you put new wine into an old wineskin that was hard and crusty and it wouldn't stretch, it wouldn't give, it would break apart. And what would it do? It would ruin the possibility of old wine because the new wine would all be poured out on the ground. So you don't even get the process. You don't get to old wine because the end of the last verse, it said, everybody prefers the old over the new. But you got to go through the process of new wine coming into a new wineskin in order to get the old. Three times in the gospels, this passage, this, these stories are told and it's always in response to fasting. Jesus is being questioned about fasting and he tells these stories about a new garment. You can take a little piece of a brand new garment, sew it on an old one, it doesn't, it ruins both of them, it doesn't work. Ruins the new garment, ruins the old thing. It's the same with new wine. God wants to pour new wine into you. His new wine, his new ideas, his new thoughts, his new direction, his new power and authority, his new courage to face what's out there. He wants to pour that into you and me. He wants to pour that into one chapel. I want you to, I want you to get hungry for God's new wine. Get thirsty for his new wine that he wants to pour into our lives. But in order to do that, you're going to have to be flexible. You're going to have to stretch. You're going to have to allow the chemical, violent reaction of your flesh deal with what God's trying to do by his spirit. And you're going to have to be okay with that. Because it's working something in your life that you can't produce on your own, that you can't produce, that God's trying to accomplish. It's an old wine that tastes so good. I want you to pray with me today and I want you to worship together. We can't make ourselves better. Let me, let me, let me just highlight a couple things to you. you we, don't, we don't fast to get God to do stuff. He's already interested in doing stuff, okay? You get it? We're not fasting to get him to do things. He's already interested. What we're doing is trying to get ourselves in a position to receive what he's doing. That's what we're doing. We do not fast to impress God. We don't fast to, to, to be impressive to him or to be impressive to others. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this. He says, don't give to the poor to be seen by others. Instead, give secretly. 
because your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. He says, don't pray with a lot of words to be heard by other people. No, pray in secret. Get in your closet, pray. God who sees, he sees what's going on in private. He knows the chemical reaction and the violent process that is happening in your life, in your soul, and he's compassionate toward you. Go to him. And then he says, when you fast, don't act like you're in great pain. Put oil on your head, wash your face, get up, go to work. Do normal stuff. And let it be secret and hidden that you're consecrating yourself to God because what happens in secret is what God rewards. It can also be, what happens in secret can also be the thing that gives the, the enemy a foothold. You understand this, right? Secrecy is the thing. The devil wants you to hide the bad things that you do. That's why confession is such a big deal. You confess to God. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I confess to somebody else because I don't want this to be secret and hidden. But here's the thing. Here's what God knows. He knows that all secrets will be revealed. It says it in Luke 12. In Luke 12, he says everything's going to be shouted from the rooftops. He knows every secret will ultimately be revealed. And the secret of the enemy in your life will try to trip you up and embarrass you publicly. But God's secrets, the secrets you have with him, the unseen process of consecration and yielding to God, he, that's going to be seen too. It'll become obvious to people. Everybody be like, wow, Sally, she's really changing. She used to be so mean. It's gonna be revealed. God sees it, he wants to reward you. So come on, stand up with me and I'm just gonna pray here and then we're gonna go into a moment of worship. Come on everybody, just open up your hands toward heaven. Father, we love you, we thank you. Thank you for your word, thank you for how powerful it is and true it is. Lord, would you, would you give us revelation about what's going on in our lives we want to be more hungry for you more hungry for the kingdom for for your truth for your word for your love we want to be consumed by you instead of consuming all kinds of other things so lord speak to us redirect our steps change our hearts we want to collaborate with you. We want to cooperate with you. We want to see your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen.